Good morning. It's good to be together as always. Uh, we're continuing our series this morning uh, called Are We There Yet? Uh, it's a series that is hopefully is describing us as a church and kind of what we're all about, the journey of where we're going, a bit of a vision series. And so we hope as you journey through the series with us that you, uh, that's a lot of journeying. Um, as you journey with us, you'll recognize where we're journeying to and uh, blah, blah, blah. It'll be, it'll be a good time. Um, I'm just going to recap a bit of where we've come from, where we're going, um, and we started the, the first talk just recognizing that SunWest is on a journey. But sometimes what happens in churches is we think that uh, we separate our journey from what God has been doing throughout all of history and what he's currently doing all over the world. And just a humble recognition that God is up to something. He's been up to something for a long time. And we as a church get to be a part of that in our unique sphere and expression of that here in South Calgary. And so what does it mean for us to join God in what he's already doing in the world, what he's already been doing throughout history? We looked at how God throughout history has chosen an elected people. And this, this chosenness, this election was not uh, just to come into relationship with him, but it was actually for a missional purpose. That he chose people, he chose nations, he chose Israel, uh, to represent him to the world. And there are certain times where those people have co-partnered with God well, and there's other times where they haven't partnered with God well, but God chooses and he elects for his missional purpose. We believe that, as it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God desires all people to be saved. That there's not one human being on this earth that God is not passionately for. And if you look at our mission statement at SunWest, you can see it to, to my left. If you're online, you're out of luck. Uh, but SunWest exists to guide all people into a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. And those words are used intentionally because we believe it's our job just to guide and invite you on the journey that we're already on. Nobody has it figured out. Nobody's arrived at the destination, but we kind of know the direction that we're going. Uh, we believe uh, that it's for all people. And we believe that God invites us into a lifelong relationship. It's not uh, just, you know, say a prayer, show up to church, but this is like a 24-7, 365 days a year type of thing that God invites us into. We talked a little bit about how Jesus is the direction that we're all going. And in some ways, it just seems like the right answer because you're in church, but it is all about Jesus. I don't know if you remember when I drew, um, when I drew this boob. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was supposed to be a fence <laughs> with a well in the middle. I had some people come up to me after, and was like, I didn't get the boob illustration. So, um, so just to kind of re-say what I was trying to say, we talked about how farmers, there's often two ways you can go about doing something. You can try and control 
your, your sheep, your herd, your cows by creating a fence. And often Christians function in a way where we try and create fences and figure out who's in and who's out. But there's some farmers in the world that actually just drill wells. And when the animals get oriented to what the center is, to where their source of life is, the animals gravitate towards the well, and you actually don't have to build fences. Jesus is much more like a fence than he is like a, much more like a well than he is like a fence. That Jesus actually invites us to himself, and we have a tendency to try and create these boundaries and figure out what it's all about, and not that some of these fences are bad in and of themselves, you know, going to church, tithing, being in a small group, serving, you know, being baptized, you know, all these things are valuable things in the Christian life, but none of them are the point. And so when we make them the point, we actually miss the point. The point is about moving towards Jesus, not creating fences. So at Sunrise, we want to guide all people into a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ, this ongoing journey towards him. And as we come towards him, as we enter into relationship with him, spend time with him, we believe that um, we begin to reflect him in a more profound way. So if this is the journey that we're on, uh, I, like, I do like road trips. I, uh, how many of you guys like road trips? I like a good road trip. But often on road trips, you get going and there's things that get in your way. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. What are the things that are stopping us from going to where God is calling us to go as a community? You know, things like car sickness, flat tires, bathroom stops. You know, if you're, if you're a dad like me, like these things just drive you crazy, right? The bathroom stops when you got a 10-hour you drive today. And your kids just don't seem to listen. Like they said they didn't have to go to the bathroom 10 minutes ago. You got in the van and now they have to go to the bathroom. And now you're in the middle of nowhere, right? So what do you do? These are frustrating things. I I can even remember, uh, they make for memorable road trips. I remember when I was younger, you know, I was about grade five. My dad took us on a, me and my best friend and his dad, we went to Winnipeg, which was um, about a three-hour drive from my hometown. And when we're coming, we went to Winnipeg Blue Bombers game. So when we're coming back from the Blue Bombers game in the evening, the car just died on the side of the road. And so we were about, you know, a good 10 kilometers from the small town outside of Winnipeg. And it was like super cold, like minus 30. And so we're, you know, me and my best buddy were kind of bundled up in blankets inside the cold car. My dad walks back to the gas station because he thinks it might have been like a fluid issue in the engine, so he goes and buys the fluid that he thought it was, you know, and so we're waiting there for an hour for him to walk there, get back, and then he puts it in the vehicle, and it turns out that that didn't solve the issue, um, and this is before cell phones, right? So, uh, so after it didn't solve the issue, then we all walk back uh, to the gas station. We phone my grandpa, you know, middle of the night, he lives three hours away, my dad wakes him up, my grandpa gets up, brings his truck picks us up outside of Winnipeg, connects the car. And it was like one of those old, you know, those old-fashioned station wagons where you're facing backwards in the back seat. And so we got pulled. I remember me and my, my buddy were, were bundled up in these blankets in our winter coats in minus 30, and we're getting pulled back to Killarney in the back of the station wagon. Uh, we got back at like 7 a.m. in the morning. I remember just in time to watch Sonic the Hedgehog on Saturday morning cartoons. <laughs> 
And it was memorable. Like, it's part of, it's part of those things I look back on. It's like, yeah, at the moment, it was like terrible, but it's part of what makes a good story. Uh, we've been doing road trips for a long time, going down to Mexico every year. You heard Colton talking about this earlier. Every spring break, we go down to Mexico, and I had the privilege of, you know, leading that trip for a number of years. And I would get so frustrated when people would have to go to the bathroom. Uh, how many of you guys can testify to this? You've been on the Mexico trip. You've seen me kind of get out of sorts when we got to stop and we don't have to. Uh, I remember a while back, there was this high school student, and uh, he said, I got to go to the bathroom. I'm like, we're in the middle of nowhere. Like, where, when, why didn't you have to go an hour ago? And he's like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pee my pants. I got to go right, right now. So obviously, we got like all these vans that are driving together. Uh, you got six or seven vans together in one convoy. So the whole convoy has to pull over. And, uh, and so this taller teenage guy gets out of the van, gets on the side of the road. You know, he starts doing his thing in front of the whole convoy. It's a, it's a good laugh. And then we get this bright idea. And we're like, what if we just start rolling, rolling out? <laughs> well, he's in the middle of doing his thing. So we start rolling out. And, uh, and I can remember looking back, he's like, you know, all panicking. So, he's, you know, he's got to push himself uh, to finish up quicker. He starts running after the van. So I can remember, and we're just like going fast enough. We're just going fast enough that he can, we're just out of reach. The van's just out of reach, right? And, and so we're getting, up, getting him up to full speed. I don't know how fast that is, but uh, he wasn't the fastest guy. He was big, tall, and awkward. But... Um, <laughs> So we're going fast, faster, faster. He's like full on sprint. And then I just, you know, you just have this brain wave. It would just, and you can see him out the river window, right? Like, just like, just slam on the brakes. So we hit the brakes and his, we see his face hit the back of the van. And we just see him drop, right? And um, yeah, anyways, he got back in the van. We... I've had two of those in my mix. I, I could tell another story, but it's basically the same thing. But it's uh, <laughs> these bathroom stops. They're, they're annoying because they just they stop you from where you want to go. What are the things in our life as a church that are actually preventing us from moving forward to where God is calling us to go? And there's quite a few things that I think I could talk about, uh, but I'm going to actually boil it down to one thing, because I do think it's the biggest thing. When I was, uh, when I was about 21 or 20, I spent uh, one summer at camp, and, uh, and I remember journaling and reading John 17, like over and over again. Uh, this is back in the days before I felt called into ministry. And God used John 17 to call me into ministry. And if you open up John 17 with me this morning, I just want to highlight, uh, we're going to highlight a couple of things here. John 17 is this prayer of Jesus right before Jesus gets arrested. 
right before Jesus goes to the cross. And, he, and Jesus knows that this is going to happen. And you can imagine if you go and spend time with somebody who's on their deathbed and they had one thing to pray for you, one thing to tell you, it would probably be something that's very important, right? Something that, you know, weighs heavily on their heart. And I think here in John 17, we get a glimpse of what Jesus sees as important for the church and why. In John 17, Jesus prays for his disciples that are following him at that moment to become one. He says, as he's, talking, he's praying to God the Father, Father, as you and I are one, I pray that my disciples would be one. He prays for unity for his disciples. And then he also prays that those who would come after them, who would believe in Jesus through their message, which is us, that they would be one as we are one. So let's just, let's just read out of the text here. John 17, verse 3. Uh, I think this just brings us back to things that we've already been talking about in, in the last couple of weeks. But uh, Jesus says, now this is eternal life. So this is eternal life. This is life in all of its fullness, as it, Jesus describes life in John 10, 10. Abundant life. Eternal life. It's both quantitative and qualitative. It's not life that happens someday after you die, but it's a life that God wants to bring in and invade your world with today. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus said of himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The way we access this life, access this life, sorry, is through Jesus himself. So Jesus goes on and prays for his disciples, and then we get to John 17, verse 20. John 17, verse 20 says, My prayer is not... For them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Then the world. And going back to the first talk in the series, we talked about how God is interested in the whole world. He loves the world. A couple of points I want to draw out of this prayer that Jesus gives. The first one, I and them and you and me, this is verse 23, so that they may be brought into complete unity. That the unity of the church, those who have put their trust, their belief, their faith into Jesus, is the result of the unity with the believer and God. That when a believer comes and puts their faith into Jesus, that they enter the family of God. And we become united not because of anything other than the fact that we belong in the same family because we have the same Father. We've been saved by the same grace. This, this word in the Greek is actually, um, this word complete is, is in the perfect passive. And so what that means is, 
the perfect sense is something that has been done, but because that thing has been done, there's ongoing consequences or results because of the thing that was done. It's been perfected, it's happened, but because it's happened, this is the result of what's happened. So Jesus is saying that these believers have been brought into unity, and because of that unity, the ongoing result is a continued unity within the body of Christ, between, uh, within the church. That's why you have the word then in there. So I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The unity of the church is the testimony of the reality of Jesus. Think about that for a second. The unity of the church, Jesus says, if the church is unified, then the world will know that you have sent me. The unity of the church actually testifies to the reality of Jesus. Subsequently, the disunity of the church tarnishes the testimony of Jesus. So as we commune with Jesus, as we follow him, we actually become more like him. We become united in him. And this process of following him, being in relationship with him, uh, we call that in church, we use this churchanese language and we call it discipleship. We become disciples of Jesus. We reflect Jesus. The things that were important to him become important to us. The things that he loved, we love. And the more we're in relationship with him, the more we reflect him. And what John 17 says, one of the obvious markers of this reflection is unity within the church. Unity among believers points people to the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. Is this making sense? Put up your hand if you're with me. Sometimes it gets silent, and that can be a good thing. Or sometimes it just means people are sleeping. So I'm just doing a check here. Unity of the church testifies to who Jesus said that he was, who Jesus is. So this morning, I want to draw your attention to a couple things. I think what's happened in the last uh, handful of years is that SunWest in particular... Uh, there's been disunity that has, uh, you know, stirred up. And, uh, and before I go any further, I just got to say, uh, even if you're new here, maybe you feel like this is like insider talk. And, uh, and in some ways it is. Th th these are specific things that have been on my heart actually for a couple of years that, um, you know, we don't always talk in-house in this way, but this morning we will. Um, and if you are new, I think that as we go through this, it'll give you an idea of the type of church that we are and what makes us unique. Um, so I do believe that there's been disunity that has, has kind of risen up in the last 
you know, four or five years. And as I've pondered this, as I've prayed about it, I think I can boil it down to a handful of things. When, when SunWest started, There's a value on seeker sensitivity. So the belief that anybody and everybody should be able to come and join us in worship and not feel like they don't understand what's happening. We want to be culturally relevant. We want our language to be understandable. We want this to be a place that you can bring your neighbors, your friends, family members that don't know Jesus, and they can come into this place and they can learn about Jesus in a way that doesn't seem overly religious, but quite natural and normal. So this, was, this has been a value, right, that we want to be culturally sensitive. Uh, some people refer to this as seeker sensitivity. There's also been uh, historically a value in, man, leadership, leadership development which is expressed in, in something like a multi-campus vision. We've always believed that God's called us not to build one mega church, but have multiple campuses. And that in order to have multiple campuses, multiple expressions, that means that we have to have multiple leaders. And so we should always be a church that's discipling in another generation of leaders, that's multiplying ourselves. It's not about everybody just showing up on Sunday and watching the same person, the same leaders do their thing week after week, but it's about equipping and releasing all people in their leadership. So there's always been this value to develop leaders, to multiply what's happening, uh, and that's been part of our understanding what it means to disciple people. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we actually grow in our leadership capacity and our places of influence. As we journeyed over time, and we did a good job of discipling people, and people grew in their faith. We started to hear people ask for what I'm going to refer to as meat. So I'm coming on Sunday, and you know that culturally relevant message, you know, I've heard it a few times, I've been journeying with SunWest for a few years, but now I want more. I want deeper teaching, I want to dive into new topics on Sunday. And so people started asking for a different type of teaching and preaching on a Sunday morning in particular. And so refer to that as meat. We want more meat. You know, and we, we did adjust a little bit at that time, and we, we went into a bit more what we called expositional preaching, which means we looked at specific Bible passages instead of just looking at topics. And we kind of have gone back and forth between those over the years. Uh, just over 10 years ago, our lead pastor at the time, uh, Willie, had a uh, profound personal experience in England with a guy uh, named Bruce Collins. And uh, I almost say Phil Collins every time. It's not Phil Collins. Uh, and, I, and I believe that, that Willie was challenged in terms of his understanding of God and God's spirit and how the supernatural things that happened in the Bible weren't just for the Bible days, but are actually for today. That God wants to bring a spirit in a powerful way today. And so 
as Willie kind of journeyed through that and he invited us into that journey, we actually had uh, Bruce uh, come to SunWest a couple of times. And, those, and I think that those times were significant in terms of uh, SunWest as a church opening our hearts to the things that God wanted to do uh, through us, not just, in a, uh, not just in the natural, but also in the supernatural. Not in the supernatural in a weird sense, but being naturally supernatural. And if you were here when Bruce was here, you'll know one of the things that I think really spoke to us was there's this Bruce guy who is soft-spoken, completely uh, disarming and unassuming, uh, but yet God worked through him in powerful ways. And, and our church really responded to what Bruce was doing. And it was, it was a powerful time every time he came. Um, and so... You know, a dozen years ago or so, I think that there was a shift towards an openness to the Holy Spirit. So we'll call that maybe a, we'll call this Holy Spirit or a charismatic focus. Uh, charismatic coming from the word uh, charisma, that's, the, that's actually a Greek word and it refers to the gifts that God gives, the gift of grace. There's also been this focus over the years, and you'll hear it in our language, about being real and authentic and relationship and community. And, and sometimes we haven't done a great job of this, uh, but we, we believe that the church is supposed to care for one another. And so we heard people, you know, either celebrating how they'd been cared for, how they'd been loved here, or people complaining that they weren't cared for or loved here enough. And both legitimate. Uh, but that's part of what the type of body that we've sought to be over the years. And the, the other group that I would bring in is, or focus, is a missional focus. If you've been around SunWest a number of years, you understand that uh, we, t we do try and be very uh, missional in how we operate. Uh, specifically even in our international uh, adventures, our international missions. We've had groups over the years that have gone to El Salvador, Mex Mexico, Thailand, uh, Dominican Republic, Africa, um, other ones that I'm probably missing. But uh, we have always sent teams because we believe that Jesus is calling us to be our hands, his hands and feet and voice in a very practical way in this world. Uh, over the years, we've, we've tried to figure out what that means locally, um, and at times we've done that better than others. But that's always been at the heart of SunWest is to be a place that makes a difference in our world, uh, internationally and also locally. So as I describe these groups, and I call them groups, uh, I'll refer to them as camps. Uh, because what, I, what I've observed over the years is that people have identified with one of these things at SunWest and become quite passionate about them. How many of you in this room, if you've been with SunWest for any length of time, uh, feel like you could identify with one of these groups? Put up your hand nice and high. Say, I could identify, as you, as you kind of write that, I could say, yeah, I actually identify with one of these groups. I'm guessing that most of us could. And what's happened over the years, this is my assessment, is that these groups actually started to see each other as 
the people that were opposing where we thought we ought to be going as a church. The people that wanted more meat thought the seeker sensi- sensitivity thing. I was like, that's not actually where we're going. We, we actually need to go deeper. Um, you know, people that maybe wanted to see more of a, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit maybe had a tendency to look at another group and say, you know, if that becomes the focus, then we're actually squeezing out the Holy Spirit. You know, missional people that had a heart for that, you know, felt like we're actually called primarily to serve those who are hurting, those who are wounded, the poor, the needy, and these other things are actually making us more inward focused, and we got to turn our focus outward again. You know, people that maybe had more of a leadership gifting, you know, started saying things, you know, where's the, where's the future generation? Where's the future leaders? Where's our future worship leaders? And, um, you know, I got a heart to see people raised up. And what happened over time is we just actually felt like the other camps became the opposition of what was on our heart, the vision that we actually grabbed hold of here. And they became the reason, and maybe we wouldn't articulate it, articulate it, but inside, we felt like they were the reason that we couldn't move forward in what God, we felt like God was calling us to as a church. Uh, so a bit over, maybe around a year ago, I was presenting some of these ideas to our Fish Creek ministry team, a team of leaders that just, you know, meets together and, um, you know, helps discern the direction and, uh, you know, the expression of the vision here at our campus. And one of the members of the, uh, sorry, I asked the question, and I would ask the question this morning is, which one are we? Where are we going? And I asked the question at the time quite, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek, and the one member of the ministry team said, well, isn't it all about discipleship? Like, do any of these things actually matter? And I said, I think you're right. I think that all of these things are actually, oh, I can't, I got to be careful what I'm drawing here, okay? <laughs> but let's, I'm going to go with the box today. The box, <laughs> the box of discipleship. Aren't all of these things actually part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus? And if we say it, it's all about this thing or it's all about that thing, we're missing the heart of what Jesus is calling us to. And I, I believe that is true. Uh, you know, last year we spent some time looking at Matthew 28, where we're called to disciple. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. There's very few things that Jesus told us to keep doing. Making disciples was a big one. Make disciples of all nations, not just individuals, but of nations. So I started spending some significant time reading books on discipleship, you know, churches that are discipling people well, leaders that were forward in their thinking, and they started writing, uh, writing about how to do discipleship better. They started uh, recording what these churches that are, have these discipling, multiplying movements, what they were doing well and what they were doing um, that maybe other churches could learn from. And so I read, you know, probably about a dozen books or so on this. And I found something fascinating. 
And this, this won't be new if you've been around SunWest for a while, but the connections for me were new. In every book that I read, in almost every book that I read, one of the main ideas that enabled churches to disciple people, communities, and cities well was an understanding of something we find in Ephesians 4. You can turn to Ephesians 4 with me. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. And it was, actually, it was actually crazy. The more I read, the more this passage just kept coming up. So Christ himself gave the, apostle, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so the, the body of Christ may be what does it say there? Built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip his people for service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. These five-fold, these five giftings that God has given to the church is actually intended to help us grow, to be united, to continue on the journey that God has called his, his church to. Um, apostle, referring to one that is sent out, who takes new territory, tends to be entrepreneurial. They're a custodian of DNA. They're a pioneer. They take risks. They're interested in multiplying movements. They leave room and create an environment for the other gifts to grow. Willie was an apostle. Our lead pastor now, Mark, is one of his gifts is an apostle. As a, and as a quick side note, is, not, is it not interesting that Willie created an environment for all these different gifts to thrive? But then we kind of went through this vacancy of leadership for, you know, four to five years where maybe these gifts kind of, I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. Evangelist. Recruit, people that recruit to a cause, they invite people into a relationship. They're connectors, they're storytellers. They're interested in adding people, bringing people into what God is doing. Um, prophets, they're guardians of truth. They're concerned with align, aligning with what God is doing, what God is saying uh, in Scripture and what God is inviting us to today. They question the status quo. Status quo. They emphasize integrity, obedience. Uh, shepherd. Uh, concerned with care. They're, they nurture spiritual development. They nurture uh, community. They're a social integrator. They have an emphasis on healing and wholeness. They help integrate people to find a home. A teacher, someone who is a learner, they like developing the intellect. They mediate wisdom. They explain truth. They train. 
an emphasis on you know knowledge and understanding. And maybe you can see where I'm going here. But you know, my, a bit of my epiphany because I was thinking about these camps for a while, and that these camps are actually representing the fivefold gifts that God planted in His church for His purposes and His mission. And I think we went through a vacancy of leadership where these fivefold gifts stopped being called out, stopped being named, stopped being stewarded for an overall vision. And we thought that our specific wiring, our specific gifting actually was the one thing that was important. We lost sight of the big picture. You guys follow me? So we could actually roll up some of these things. Actually, most of these things, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. You know, those people that you know, cared about leadership development and multiplying and multi-campus, you know, representing the apostolic heart, those people that wanted to see us align with God and His Spirit and where, where He was going and not just stick to the status quo, you know, represent the prophetic gifting. Those people that were asking for meat and more training and more learning are, is not that just an expression of those people that have actually been uh, called out as teachers. The evangelists. You know, those, protect, those people that protected the seeker-sensitive spirit of SunWest because we actually cared about people coming to know Jesus in a disarming, natural way. The shepherds, the people that really were calling us to be better at caring for others, that we have wounded people in our community and outside of our community that we need to step out to the plate as a church. And when you step back and you say, it's actually not, it was never intended to be apostles versus shepherds, evangelists versus teachers, prophets versus shepherds, or whatever it is. It was intended to be the whole fivefold gifting of, uh, of, of the gifts of God that he's given to his church, working together in unity to point people towards Jesus. And when we've created a fence around our particular wiring and gifting, we actually create a boundary to pointing people towards Jesus because the, the disunity of the church tarnishes the testimony of who Jesus is. Whereas the unity of the church points very specifically to Jesus, who he said he was, and he said, the unity of my, the believers that will come after me, if they're united, then people will know that you've sent me. You know, I, li I like to give gifts to my kids, right? Um, you know, at SunWest, we even give gifts to our kids. We, we, we got this, you know, we gave away these Frisbees a little while ago. You remember those? Um, soccer balls. You know, th there's the... Sorry, th these are ours from home. Uh, hockey sticks. And it's funny, I got three boys, and it doesn't matter what gift I give them. Somehow, they'd figure out how to use it as a weapon. <laughs> you know, it's like, we give them a soccer ball to play soccer, this becomes like this, you know, this bomb in the backyard 
where they're throwing it at each other on the trampoline and we just try and, you know, knock the, the feet out from under our kids on the trampoline and, and you know, this normal soccer ball becomes a weapon. You know, the, the hockey stick we give them, it becomes, you know, it turns into a sword. You know, depending on how their imaginations working that day, you know, easily a gun. Um, you know, frisbees, like, what do you do with a frisbee? Well, easy, it becomes a, it's a shield, right? They, they get so creative. Um, you know, we gave them a water gun and that, sorry, we did drop the ball on that one. That is a, that is a weapon. <laughs> they, you know, we, we buy these, these things that we're supposed to build, we're supposed to build this fort. You know, we build forts, right, by putting these balls and these sticks together and you build a fort. You know, these just become hand grenades. Uh, they become knives. They become, like, a source of a lot of pain and crying. <laughs> I, I don't think Lisa and I have helped this because I, I can even remember back in the day, we used to have this room in our old house in our basement uh, where there's a hallway here, there was a hallway here, and the, we had an opening in the middle. And Lisa and I would sit on the couch in the opening, and we had these medicine balls, and our kids would run across the opening, and we would just try and peg them off as they ran. <laughs> and this medicine ball that was meant to like, help us exercise became this, this, this thing that when it hit our kids, it just had this explosive effect, and they would fly across the room into the entertainment unit or something, and it, we laughed very, very hard, and, uh, and they cried quite a bit. <laughs> But it, it, it's amazing how, you know, the, the human spirit, you know, takes a gift and turns it into a weapon. It's amazing how no matter what I give to my kids, they just find a way to hurt each other with it. And I can laugh about it. Um, but isn't that true with us? Isn't that true that God has been so gracious and generous here as a church that he has poured out his spirit, that he's gifted us? He's given us gifts. He's given you passions. He's given you abilities, things that are dear to your heart, and they're dear to his heart. But we actually turned them into a weapon. And we fight each other with them. And as we do that, it, it compromises the whole thing that we're supposed to be about. And the interesting thing is that Jesus walked fully in all five gifts. He fully walked as an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. And ironically, when he left, he's, you know, Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ that all of these functioning gifts actually aren't intended only to exist in one individual, but in the community as a whole. That we continue to operate in those gifts of Jesus as apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. But the only way that the body of Christ continues to do that is through the unity of the church as we come together in our gifts, in our wirings, stop using them as weapons and recognize that they actually have a purpose to make disciples, to point people to Jesus. And even though someone's different than you, even though someone expresses God's heart separate than you or different than you, it's something beautiful that we need to embrace because it's part of the diversity of expression that God has given to his church.
And as my prayer, as I've thought about this morning, um, that, A, that you would recognize that God's gifted you. If you're a believer, that God has specifically deposited his heart into you to represent part of his body. If you want to learn more about that, it's not a shameless plug, but in two weeks we've got the 301 course where we, we do explore spiritual gifts. And if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are or what this looks like, this, that's the course for you, 301. But he's deposited his gifts into you. And my prayer is that you would actually rise up and recognize that this is the specific wiring and gifting that God's given me. And you would operate in it. And secondly, that we would recognize in humility that it's not the only gift. That it's not the only expression. It's not the only thing that's valuable. And that if we can kind of see each other instead of, you know, the person that wants to become more charismatic or they want more meat and their interest in the intellect and, you know, they're all about leadership development, but they don't really care about, you know, helping wounded or hurting people. You know, pull away from that. That's, that's something that's from the devil. That's something that is from the enemy that he's coming to divide, to kill and destroy. And it's time that we start naming it and say, no, these are actually the beautiful gifts that God's given his church. And you're different than me, but that apostolic gift, I know it's important. And I honor that. The prophetic gift, I know it's important, I honor that. Shepherding gift, I know it's important, I honor The teaching gift, it's important, I honor The evangelistic gift, it's important, and I honor that. And I know if we can operate together to make disciples of people, disciples of all nations, disciples of all nations, that God's plan is to actually do that through the unity of his body, his church. So it's out there. You know, we've, we've, we've no matter who you are, you have a, you have a home here. You, your gifting has a place. And in order for us to move forward, and we're going to talk about that more next week, uh, it's time to acknowledge if there's places that you have actually been fighting against, that you've taken the gifts of God and used it as a weapon against somebody else, it's time to recognize that this morning so we can move forward. If you've been wounded by somebody and this morning you actually maybe just realize that they didn't intend that, but that it's actually God's gift that they just misunderstood. But it's actually something beautiful, and I'm going to honor that. And maybe that means you need to forgive somebody in our community um, that you feel hurt by, that you have felt hurt by, just because you guys weren't on the same page. It's a... It's, uh, time this morning for us to come back together and say, God, we're sorry for taking your gifts and using them as weapons. Thank you for your grace. We're coming back together as a church to go to the, the places and do the things that you're calling us to do. And so if you feel this morning that, hey, you identify with one of those groups that 
not intentionally, but you realize over the years that you've actually worked against somebody else in our body because of one of these misunderstandings. If you've been hurt and you want to lay aside that hurt and walk forward from this place in forgiveness because you want to keep the main thing the main thing. If you are someone that as we talk about these gifts, you feel something rise up in your spirit. You say, now I actually see where my place is, and I want to be a part of the future here. I'm going to invite you to stand up as a, just as an act and a symbolic response of unity. That as you're standing, you're saying, I'm choosing to forgive. As you're standing... You're saying, I'm choosing to acknowledge the strengths and the gifts of my brothers and sisters and that those are gifts, not weapons. As you're standing, you're choosing to say, you know, Jesus is the main thing and he's always going to be the main thing. As you're standing, maybe it's, it's, a, it's a way of saying, sorry, God, that it, you haven't been the main thing. And thank you for your grace, and we're going to move forward with you in the middle, with you in the center. So if, any, if you feel like God is stirring that up in any of you, I would just invite you to stand right now as an act of unity. That we're, this morning we will not, going forward we will be not, not be known as a church that people are clear on what we're against anymore, but we'll be known as a church of people are clear on what we're for. That we're known as a church that walks together in unity, and even though there's differences of styles, opinions, expressions of giftings, the way that we actually operate and work together is a testimony to who Jesus is, because we're united, because we're all in the same family. I'm going to, we're going to pray. And uh, I've gone over time, so I'm going to apologize to the worship team. We actually don't have time to go into the worship song. Um, If there's someone that you actually need to have a specific conversation with, I would encourage you to do that, to make a plan to do that, you know, in this next week, even today, if that person's here. Just say, hey, sorry. You know, I, I love you. We're part of the same family. And I just recognize this morning that your gift, that your gifting is this unique, special thing that God gave you. And I just misunderstood it. So, Father, we, uh, we thank you that you are a good God that loves to give good gifts. And this morning, maybe it's like, we're rediscovering this, uh, this Christmas morning all over again and saying, whoa, look at this. Look at these gifts. Look at these presents that you've just poured out on your people. How cool is that? And Lord, as we're, we're opening these gifts and we, we recognize um, that you've given us responsibility, that you've given us something that we're, we ought to steward well, And so, God, as a body this morning, we say that we are sorry for the moments that we have misunderstood these gifts and turned them into weapons. We thank you for your grace and forgiveness 
and how you respond to us by saying, you know, that's okay. You know, I love you. You continue to invite us to yourself. Lord, for those people that have been hurt by someone intentionally or even unintentionally, Father, I pray that you would fill our hearts with forgiveness for one another, that you would fill our hearts with a supernatural ability to even let go of those things uh, that have hurt us just because we misunderstood or that person misunderstood. Lord, we recognize that you sent your son Jesus to earth because you desired all people to be saved and that you have given us the responsibility to reflect your son Jesus well. And one of the ways we do that as a church is we reflect it in our unity of how we walk together, how we work together, how we love together, how we forgive one another. And Lord, we want to do that better. Uh, we want to we draw people to the well. We want to draw people to what you are all about. And we don't want to create fences that you didn't intend to be fences. So we proclaim as a church this morning that you, Jesus, are the center. That you, Jesus, are what we're all about. That you, Jesus, are the one that transforms. That you, Jesus, are the one that brings life. We pray against the enemy who has come to kill, steal, and destroy, and we ask, God, that you would repair and restore and bring life to those places that have been broken, hurt, and wounded. Father, when our family and our friends and our, and our communities and our neighborhoods look at us, may they, see, may they say that God must be real because look how those people supernaturally walk together. We pray that we would reflect the eyes and the hearts of people back to you as they look at us. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would like to chat with me or receive specific prayer about anything, we have a prayer team available. Uh, a reminder of our covenant community meeting at 12. And please, if there's, there's, a, there's a person on your heart to go and chat to, chat with, uh, do that. Go in peace.